Playing with your food is always a good idea. And now play, which means pet lifestyle and you, the creators of stylish and eco-friendly pet beds and toys, has made your favorite fast food meal dog-friendly. Spoil your pup with a juicy burger or tasty hot dog from Play's American Classic Toy Collection featuring detachable parts that are perfect for hiding treats. Would you like french fries with that? It won't be hard to entice your pup senses with amusing crinkles of the french fries, funny giggle stick sounds of the drumstick, or entertaining squeaks coming from the milkshake. These soft and durable toys not only make playtime fun, but they're also the perfect accessory for any photo op. Don't worry about getting into a food fight as these drool-worthy toys are 100% machine washable and dryer-friendly, plus they look great, so you won't be embarrassed to have them lying around the house. So the next time you treat your pup to a new toy, choose one that will really last from our friends at Play. And you know what? I love these toys and I love play. And you know why I love play? Because they sell the best dog bed I have ever bought for my dogs, ever. Sadie loves it. And um, we all know dogs love to play as much as they love to sleep. And that's why after playtime, you need to treat your pup to a play bed. And it's available in a variety of shapes and designs. They're made with the finest fabrics. They feature an eco-friendly stuffing and are designed with your pet's comfort and safety in mind. They're washable. I've had, or Sadie loves it, both Sadie and Jasmine love it, but I've had that play pet bed for years now. It still looks amazing. It comes really funky design. And you know what I like about the particular one that I have? You can take the cushion out and you can wash it. I mean, everything is washable. But also what I like about it is that Sadie loves it because the actual cushion part that goes around the edges isn't that high. So it's not like she has to sleep with a crick in her neck. She can curl up or she can stretch out. And the sides as well are soft enough that if the dog does stretches out, their head is tiny bit elevated. But it's not like their head sort of, you know, when, it, when it's a big bolster. I love it. It's my favorite bed. It's so comfortable I could sleep in it. The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Ferfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Well, as promised, we're back again, and uh, this week, a lot to talk about. Um, I know we had just come back after a bit of a hiatus for the last uh, podcast, but this one, we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, all that's been going on, um, starting with, you know, I think about the hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, I mean, those images of the people, the flooding, the houses, just disaster, and then... You know, obviously the animals, the dogs, the cats, you know, there was pigs that were rescued. Um, a really, really difficult uh, time for so many people. And, you know, just getting out alive and safe with your family and then your pets. And they are part of the family. It's 
it's it's something it's unimaginable i don't know how i mean the strength but the people that that helped and came out you saw the best in in humanity you, really you really did and of course you don't want to see these pictures of people in boats and everything but but what if there's anything that comes out of this it's a the most incredible people that went out and helped yes um and also it's the pictures of people getting rescued and then carrying their animals carrying their animals and rescuing their animals and the humane society of the united states along with very with many different organizations were at hurricane harvey and mm-hmm. helping out and um they it got me thinking about disaster preparedness and i think one of the things as i work with some of the guys there one of the things that they say is no matter what the specifics of your plan are your disaster preparedness plan if you're told to evacuate do so immediately and take your animals because if it's not safe for you it's not safe for them take your animals so the people who had to evacuate who who did take their animals it was good to see that you know that those they were important family members unfortunately i know that there uh, were some animals that were tied out and chained up and they're they're not going to make it or they didn't make it so in have a plan it, you may might think it never would happen to you Mm-hmm. but things can change very quickly mm-hmm. so have a plan in place not just for yourself and your kids but also for your pets mm-hmm. you know in a lot of places you know they set up shelters and some of them are just for people which for safety and for many reasons um were set up like that but there's also um places that will accept animals or they have shelters that say we'll be open drop your animal off here go get you know go go take your family to safety we'll take care of your animal we'll reunite you afterwards and and part of the preparedness when it comes to uh pets i mean we know hey you know let's find an evacuation route for us um you know let's take our valuables let's you know make a plan we would where would we drive to where would we go kind of like when you were younger and they you know a fire in the house what do you do you train kids what do you do when there's a fire you stop you get to the bottom you get downstairs you get low you take a wet towel you you need to have a plan for the animal too if you have an animal that's part of responsibility you would plan to keep your child safe hopefully you would plan to keep your animal safe so maybe what you do is call around and say hey if there's a disaster you're a shelter would you you know find a shelter out of town or a rescue could we bring them to you uh fortunately for hurricanes um or unfortunately you know you do get prep time it's not like a you know house fire or something that's an immediate disaster an earthquake you have no pre- uh preparation time for but something like this maybe if you know okay look we see an we see a, a hurricane it could be coming this way where do we take our animals do we get out now do we find a shelter and say can you please keep them or put them in a place pay for boarding if you can you know that's far away for you know a week or two in preparation for this where you can know that they're safe Yeah there's a whole thing list of things that you should prepare for and mm-hmm. you should do in preparation and uh, some of these are consider packing the following so you have mm-hmm. that sort of emergency um bag pet food medication IDs um a card your own card and driver's license credit and bank cards vehicle title and land title Mhm. Um marriage and birth certificates, health card and passports, insurance policy and number, home inventory list and photos, prescription medication, important documents, any important documents, have these all on hand that you can grab if you need. 
jewelry i would leave all my jewelry clothing but a, a, a mm -hmm. week's worth of clothing non-perishable food and bottled water and first aid kit that's for you and your dog um very important uh, the the problem is if you've got a pet that's that's um that needs medication and you forget to take your dog's medication sometimes like i have a bag i have a health kit which I can just grab. And sometimes what I'll do is when I have my dog's medication, I'll put half in a bottle in that health kit and then I'll have half outside that I normally. So in case I need to evacuate quickly, I can get it and leave and leave real quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not stuck without my Sadie's thyroxine that she so desperately needs. I think to, to be prepared is the most important thing, especially if you're living in an area that does have wildfires, can flood, um, prone to hurricanes, prone to hurricanes, earthquakes. Prone to, yes, I mean just, just be prepared. Mm -hmm. it, it is, but then of course, you know, a lot of these people sometimes it, it can, the water came on so fast. Right, and they, and you know, for instance, in in Hurricane Harvey, they did not tell them to evacuate in Houston because years before there was. Um, an evacuation and a hurricane came and people died on the road trying to evacuate. Now, so that was shocking that, that that happened, but they did because the roads were just full. And, and they were flooded. And overheated. Yeah, people didn't know where to go. So it's really difficult. But that's why sometimes it's good to know, um, hey, you know, maybe you make the decision, listen, the hurricane's coming, it's a week out, we're not even going to take the chance. Let's just go and get out of town, whether or not you have evacuation orders or at least have information with you so to know, okay, if we've got to get out in a hurry, I know there's a shelter here, there's a pet shelter here, in this town we can go here. Um, you know, it can always help. You know, not a lot of people have resources, unfortunately, for it. That's why I think it was great to see, um, you know, the humanity of the people coming out. I mean, even you saw the, that, you know, that, that photo that went viral, of the dog carrying his own dog food around, you know, and then he was finally reunited with the owner, things like that. But so, so circumstances, sometimes you can't prepare for it, but that's why also too, you know, there were so many great people who came out and were rescuing pets and wings of flight and places that were bringing dog food and saying, I'll take these animals or we'll rehouse them, you know, if they can. Exactly. And what happened is before Harvey happened that um, a lot of the shelters were already emptying their shelters and the animals were going up to other different shelters that weren't in the flood area so that um, they could still be in shelters to be adopted out up there. But the shelters down in Houston and other places were then open for people to go to with their pets or to put their pets in there. Um, unfortunately, some of the shelters, some shelters were flooded. Mm -hmm. But, um, for example, I know in Atlanta and with Gwinnett, that uh, animal control that I work with, they took in a whole lot of cats. So mm -hmm. from the shelters down there who needed space for to get pets that were off the street or strays or everything or had lost their families, they needed space to house them. So they got their animals to come up to here so that we could adopt them out up here so that they're left space for the animals that really need it down there. So, And I wonder who's going to adopt that 10-foot alligator. Did you see that? There was a video of, um, I mean, this is amazing. This is why you have to be really careful after a hurricane when you go back in. Besides snakes and rats and all kinds of creatures, everybody gets displaced and everybody tries to find high ground and safe ground. And because your house is not safe to be in on the second floor, a snake, a rat, a raccoon, a possum doesn't know that. 
um, you know, they'll go up there, and I don't know if you saw the video, it was incredible, of these ant colonies, just these ginormous, I mean, they probably were, you know, the size of, uh, I don't even know, like a small dog, and it was just ant colonies floating down the water, they all got together, and they were on, you know, I guess to get to, to not drown, and then roaches, I mean, it's unbelievable what things will do to survive. Mm-hmm. But apparently some guy went back to his house a couple days after the flooding started to recede and walked in and there was a 10-foot alligator in his house. Oh and there's gosh. video of them bringing the, you know, he actually had to call and they had to obviously get the alligator out. But um, yeah, that's not, so, that's yeah, not that, what you want. Maybe that one's not going to, to the shelter, but... Um, Good grief. Yeah, wow. and... Uh, but also speaking of, you know, uh, the shelter and the Humane Society, which was amazing during all of this, um, you know, they do other things. This is what they're there for, emergencies. It's not just, uh, you know, adopting out animals. They are the main support for so much. And you had a, a horrific uh, week uh, not too long ago. Uh, talk about what happened. Well, yeah, the Humane Society of the United States, they do a lot of um, – dog fighting busts but they weren't involved in this one but i know that they gave some good advice to the police department of this one um but this is this happened in polk georgia mm-hmm. polk county georgia which is very close to pretty close to where i live and so um there was a big dog fighting bust that wow. happened and um a suspected dog fighter and so this guy had been, I think it was back in 2000, I think he'd been prosecuted, but somehow the case didn't, uh, he didn't go to jail. Mm. Um, and I think he had around 30 plus dogs at that point. Well, now he has over 100. Wow. And I didn't go to the first location, but I did go to the second location. And even though I can't talk about the particulars of the case, mm-hmm. because, but I was involved in that case in assessing dogs and as a behavior expert to, to assess behavior as well, as well as to document. And um, along with me was... Uh, my friend and colleague Heather Paul, who is works for State Farm, so she does a lot of the disaster preparedness stuff. But also, she's a great photographer, and um, so along there she came as well to take pictures, which are, are vital when it comes to getting evidence, taking the right kind of pictures, taking the right kind of video, um, and going into a suspected dog fighting. Mm a place where dog fighting dogs are kept, you know, you have the dogs staked out, you have the dogs on chains and you have what's called agitation circles. So these dogs never come off the chains. They're just there on their agitation circles. And it's the path that they wear around their um, stakes and basically where the chains let them wander, they will wander and normally it's in a circle. You'll mm-hmm. find that it's in a circle. And then there is a dog that's, just out of reach right next to this dog on the agitation circle there's another one but the two dogs can't get to each other they're just at that point where they can't get to each other and that's why they call it agitation circles because you've got all of these dogs that can see each other Mm -hmm. all around the property they can't get to each other and they're fighting dogs so all of that agitation and that you know that irritation and that frustration builds up and that's how they can get these dogs to to the point when they're actually fighting them in the fighting pits to get so uh, because um of these of the way they kept but again not talking about the particulars of this case but it was interesting afterwards about what where do these fighting dogs go mm-hmm. so the difficulty that we have is that these are not normal dogs, mm-hmm. right? 
and they cannot go to just your average family and they cannot hang out most of them cannot hang out and just be sociable with other dogs so these rescues have a hard time when they come to get them as in where do they go mm-hmm. and that's what when i've sat down and interviewed heather after we had assisted on this case we started we talked about our experiences of what happens to these fighting dogs after they are released and they go into rescue and that is the interview that we have now all right let's take a listen the positively hotline is ringing we don't know what we're going to do we have no plan we're just here who's calling in this week he went after her like she's made out of ham that is interesting that's exciting um is somebody going to answer that hello hotline ringing you're on your phone and i don't think you're taking any of this seriously Heather, it's so good to have you here. I'm so glad. Um, I mean, we always have a great time when we hang out, but you're just a mind of information, especially when it comes to dogs and rescue and awesome dogs and guardians of the night and police dogs and everything and pit bulls. And so, um, and of course, you also work with State Farm as well, insurance. And everyone's talking insurance right now because of the hurricanes and because of all the devastation. So I've got so many questions to ask you, but first of all, um, did you see or experience any of the rescues that were going on? Did you see what was going on down there? And from an insurance perspective, what can people do? Yeah, absolutely. It, we saw so much, uh, a lot of uh, tremendous work being done by rescues, by individuals that would see uh, an animal. Um, we've also... I've followed stories of, of animals um, that are uh, being moved out of, of Texas uh, to other locations um, because of, there was just no room in the shelters left. Uh, it was difficult, to, it's, and it's been difficult to, to be able to get into a lot of these areas because of, uh, you know, it being a water event. And talking from an insurance perspective, there's a difference between a primary wind event and a primary water event. And, and what's happened in Texas has really been so much around water and flooding. And that makes it so much more difficult to get claims adjusters um, as well as even first responders into that area to be able to provide service to uh, those that have been impacted. So it is, um, it, it is always devastating to see, you know, regardless if it's a hurricane, if it's a tornado, if it's a hail incident, um, it's always difficult to see people's lives disrupted like that. Um, but, you know, insurance is there to help recover from those unexpected moments. And um, we, we've got teams that are on the ground and uh, like many other insurance companies are there to try to service our customers as quickly and efficiently as possible. Now, State Farm does a lot of great work, and um, if you guys are new to the podcast or you're new to the Positivity page or you have no idea what Gardeners of the Night is or Awesome Dogs is, well, 
you've been missing something because uh, State Farm has been wonderful in sponsoring a series about arson dogs and also about Guardians of the Night where we follow a canine unit for many years. Um, really fascinating web series, both of them. And um, and a lot of you probably won't know that State Farm runs an arson dog training program. Can you talk a little bit about that, Heather? Absolutely. Well, we've got an uh, probably one of the coolest programs uh, in existence. Uh, we uh, have since 1993, for almost 25 years now, we uh, State Farm has been providing funding for the acquisition and training of accelerant detection dogs, which are also known as arson dogs. Uh, these are specially trained dogs that work with a human handler as a police officer or firefighter or investigator that will very quickly be able to go to a fire scene after the scene has already been put out and locate where accelerants like gasoline or fuel have been used to start a fire. And why that's so important is because dogs have this incredible tool, their nose, that is so quick to locate even a drop of gasoline that's been used to start a fire. When you're talking billions of dollars in arson fraud, hundreds of lives that are lost uh, from people that have been unfortunately killed in an arson fire, uh, this isn't just an insurance issue. issue. It's a safety issue for communities. Um, Arson results in the loss of property. It results in a decline in the economic stability of that community. And so um, if we're able to provide a tool for law enforcement to help to quickly find evidence and bring that person uh, to justice, uh, everybody wins. The community wins, insurance companies win, and certainly law enforcement wins too. So uh, being able to work with these incredible handlers, these, um, these men and women who 24 hours a day live and work with their partner um, is is one of the greatest pleasures that I've ever had to to, have, to to see actually in my work experience. And, you know, when I tell people that State Farm runs an arson dog training program, they're always like, what? We didn't, what? Why would they do that? But of course, it, I mean, makes a lot of sense because there's so much arson fraud out there, or there's so much fraud out there, which turns out to be arson, people burning down their houses or, you know, it, I mean, it, and it's true, it happens, doesn't it? It absolutely happens. I mean, it is really, um, it is, it's devastating. When you even consider the, the volume of, of fires that there are, that you know, whether it's a uh, car fire or home fire, um, and then some fire marshals even as expect that as much as 50% of all fires are suspicious in nature, are possibly arson. That is huge. We don't have the capabilities as human beings to go in and underneath all that debris and mess to smell where uh, an arson fire may have been started, uh, but these dogs do. And and who doesn't want to be able to go to work every day with their best friend, which happens to be furry and have four legs? So it is uh, for for many of these handlers, it is the highlight of their of their career to be able to train and work with these dogs. Um, and the 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 most important thing is that uh, these dogs are safe when we do when when they're working. Um, 
the dogs are are checked over before and after going into the fire scene and they never go into a hot fire scene so um they they get wonderful they get wonderful treatments and the extra special cherry on top of it is that all of these dogs are from animal shelters or disability assistance programs where their career changed, uh, meaning that they are dogs that uh, maybe didn't make it as a guide dog or a disability assistance dog. They just needed to find the right job, and that right job is serving their community. I love that. I love that career change. I had a career change too. I think there's a lot of us who've had career changes and yeah, we find something that we like better or we're better at. And, uh, yeah, it is an amazing program. And if you want to see, if you haven't seen Arson Dogs, then you can go to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash Victoria Stillwell or it's arsondogs.org, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's arsondog.org and you can get information about the program, see the wonderful web series and, uh, and also learn more about how these dogs uh, service their communities. Now, um, uh, just so that we can also reiterate the fact that State Farm does not, uh, when you call them up, they don't care about what kind of breed of dog you have. Right. So we, uh, uh, you know, one of the challenges uh, being an insurance company is uh, we are in the pro- in the business of managing risk. And uh, for many other insurance companies, managing risk, especially when it comes to dog bites, means that they have uh, lists of dog breeds or types of dogs that they will not cover. Um, it, it is it is uh, my pleasure to be able to uh, to work for stay for, work for a company that does not ask what breed of dog is owned. So when you have a homeowner's policy or a renter's policy through State Farm, you're not going to have to live in fear that your dog's not going to be covered or that you're not going to be able to be covered because of what type of dog you have. We don't ask. We recognize certainly that that all dogs have uh, the potential to bite. The vast majority of our dogs don't. But uh, it is owner responsibility. It is not dog breed. And as the owner of, of a couple of pit bulls, I'm, I'm certainly well aware that uh, that they have a, a stigma attached to them. Um, but we also see that so many of those incredible dogs uh, are able to be therapy dogs and service dogs and contribute. Um, they're wonderful pets. And, and it would be it would be horrific to me to go into my insurance company and have somebody say, unfortunately, because your your family member is this type of dog, that we're not able to provide coverage for you. Um, or you have to get rid of your dog if you want to keep your policy. And you don't have to worry. That's not something that um, that we're going to do at State Farm based off your dog dog's breed or dog's type. See, that, that to me, I mean... That that's as how it should be, and I mean I've known you for years, and we've we've done a lot of things, and of course we do the dog bite prevention week as well. Yep. Every um, well, it has been originally every May, 
um, where we give out great information and do sort of a social media and a media blitz on how to give information there to keep kids safe and people safe around dogs, how to understand them. You know, you really have. Uh, that's why I love it when you come on here and you kind of share your wisdom because you're a pit bull owner. You're you work for the, a great insurance company. You know all about insurance after all these dreadful hurricanes that have happened. Um, and you also work with arson dogs and contributed to Guardians of the Night and uh, police dogs. And so for for everything that you do, thank you so much. And thank you for coming on here again. And we're, we know we're going to ask you back again. You know that because you're like you're just a distinguished guest. I would, I would certainly hope so. I, because we have, we have far too much fun and too much great, too many great things to talk about. I know, um, I know. Especially I'm, with our our amazing pets and uh, and um, all the great people that love them. Yeah, and you know what? And also uh, for those of you who uh, you you should go onto my Facebook because then you'll see. A while back, it was last year or maybe a little bit before that, Heather and myself and Alex Andy's actually in a car. We just wanted to demonstrate what it's like when you shut a dog into a hot car. So we sat in a hot car in Atlanta in 80, 90 degrees of heat and uh, suffered there for about 20 minutes and the temperature was rising above 100 degrees. So um, when you when you've just hung out with Heather and you sort of, you know, you're a sweaty mess and everything, then it's yeah, yeah, you can just do anything. So thank you so much for coming on here. Really appreciate it it and uh, hopefully you can come back again sometime my pleasure thanks you're awesome hey you got something on your mind are you a wizard a genius how do they make a miniature i mean is there some way some process they they physically miniaturize the dog or is it a puppy or what what the devil is going on that's a really good question i've got my work cut out for me here Next time you want to know something, can you repeat the question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, You obviously don't know my dog. Just ask Victoria. As I said before, dog training isn't just about learning sit and stay. There's a big world out there. We want to train our dogs to explore it with us and make the most of every adventure together. My friends at Zooks have created a line of all-natural, healthy, trail-tested training dog treats designed to fuel adventures. They help your dog learn to be their best self and they don't have any fillers, byproducts, soy, wheat or artificial anything. Check them out at zooks.com and instead of sit and stay, let's go. Okay, time to ask Victoria some questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Drum roll. In my head. Uh, The first one is from Julia in Albany, New York, and she's 15 years old. And she says, I have a dog named Bailey, and she's about to turn six. I've wanted a dog ever since I was little, and you definitely made me realize how much I really love dogs. Love that. Uh, I've been able to train my dog successfully by listening to your advice and watching your show. I was wondering if there were any good tips for helping your dog that doesn't want to go for a walk. And she says, thanks, Victoria. So that's Julia. What kind of dog does she have again? She didn't say. She said a dog named Bailey who's about to turn six. Huh. Doesn't want to go for a walk. Which is, yeah. Which is not normal, as most dogs get Mm -hmm. very excited about going outside. There are some dogs that don't like to go outside because they're scared for one reason or another. And it could be scared of the environment. Do you live in a city? Is it very busy outside? Did she say she lives in New York? Uh, It's Albany, New York. So upstate New York. York. So it's not the city. So it's not like it's Manhattan and it's crazy outside. But um, is it, Albany gets really cold. Is Mm -hmm. it the 
Does the dog not want to go for a walk when it's really, really cold outside? You know, what kind of breed of dog is it? And dogs that may be like English bulldogs. English bulldogs, I love them. But because of the way they're bred, they sometimes find walking difficult and breathing mm. difficult. And then they put their bottoms down on the ground and they don't want to move another inch. And then people call them stubborn. And, That's my husband. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and then you go, well, actually, no, the, the dog is actually very uncomfortable, can't breathe properly or is in pain somewhere or so first of all what I would what I would do I'd I would advise you to take your dog to the veterinarian just to make sure that there is no there's nothing going on in you know nothing medically going on the dog's not suffering pain somewhere or not discomfort bad hips anything of like that because that's that's what I su suspect the first mm. thing is that the dog's not walking because it doesn't feel good. Um, what's your dog's mood? Do you walk the dog just after it's eaten or just before it's eaten? Um, avoid doing that. Give it a good hour after feeding the dog before you walk the dog. Or walk the dog a good hour before you're going to feed. That's just for safety. can help guard against things like bloat. But it probably is because the dog is not comfortable being outside. And why? Did a trauma happen? What triggered that? And a lot of dogs, like they might even hear a car backfiring or they don't like the sound of the UPS truck or things like that going past their house. And that causes them to fear and that's it. Just one. Do you have an, uh, an electric fence, for example? Mm. A lot of dogs that have had a shock going through their front yards will not go out through the front yard. So mm -hmm. when you take, try and take your dog out for a walk down, the, down, let's say, down your driveway, dog won't go because this is a scary place. This mm -hmm. is where I get hurt. I see that a lot. So how do you get your dog over if your dog is indeed fearful? Let's say that your dog is fearful. Again, baby steps. And I would just move very slowly. And I've had a lot of dogs with this problem, so you're definitely not alone. And what I've done is sometimes... I've just sat. I start again very slowly and I've just sat on the front step with the dog. And the dog has, we play a game or we have some food or we just hang out. That's what I do to begin with. And then I might hang out, I move, might move halfway down the drive and go hang out down the drive. We do the same thing. And then I might just go to a part of the street and go hang out on the streets. Just, you know, just sit there, find a bench. So it's not just a walk. You'll find that your dog will smell and look around and still have that mental stimulation that it so needs, but you're not forcing it to walk. Now, um, is your dog hypervigilant outside? So what I mean by that is, is, is your dog scanning the environment all the time? Are the movements very quick? Do you see that he's uncomfortable? Is he tense? Because if he is, that does that will show that he probably is fearful. If a dog's scanning his environment all the time, does he toilet outside at all? Does he do that? Or is it literally just walking? Is his collar uncomfortable? What about using a harness? Does he pull a lot and it's been told off for pulling? Don't tell him off anymore. Use a chest-led harness, one of my positively no-pull harnesses, and that might help the dog walk better things like that so you've got to look at the equipment you're using the environment if the dog's in pain again behavioral issues are never fixed 
by telling the dog off and suppressing the dog's behavior. It's mm -hmm. just not. And I'm not saying that you're doing it. But, you know, the traditional style of training, they might sort of pull the dog on or tell the dog off or shock the dog into walking or that kind of thing. See, a behavioral problem, there's a lot of components to it. It's not just one thing, but there's a lot of reasons for the behavior. So we find out. We just, we just like detectives, we look for the reasons, and we get the triggers, and we desensitize to the triggers, and we think outside the box, and then we use behavioral modification to encourage the dogs to be confident outside. Does it take skill? Yes, it does take skill. Can it take a little longer? Well, of course. It's going to take a little longer than just shocking your dog and forcing your dog into do something. But I want my dog to love being outside and to love walking. And that's where we need to get your dog to the place to do it. So, again, we need to be smart when talking about a behavior like this and not just think, oh, this can be, you know, hey, a half hour television show. Boom. Mm -hmm. And the dog's now walking under suppression. Don't do it. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that you're doing it, but I think it's important to understand that this behavioral issue, there's many components to it. You've got to find each trigger, each um, tackle each component of the dog's life and then see where you are and then hopefully encourage your dog and your dog will enjoy walking. Okay, next one is from Elizabeth in Palm Harbor, Florida. And Elizabeth says, hi, uh, my dog Snickers is having some problems. My mom will take her outside for her morning pee and then come back inside to help me pack up for school. And we both will call Snickers back in like 10 times, but she won't come back in unless I go and take her leash and drag her back inside. Ah. Hmm, Snickers, so totally the opposite problem really is Elizabeth was having. She or, likes uh, being outside. Julie was having, having yeah. <laughs> All right, um. Okay, interesting one. So that's before school, so there's a little bit of a rush. And uh, have you tried tempting her in with food or does food time happen right after, um, just before you go to school or does your mum feed the dog after, you, uh, after she takes you to school? So um, obviously she likes being outside. She doesn't want to come back in. So we've got to try and make it a game. Perfect the recall. And make her really good at recall. And when she comes back to you, all sorts of wonderful things happen to her. And um, uh, uh, do that at times that you're hanging out in the house. So don't try and work on the recall just before you're about to go to school. Do that whilst you're hanging around in the house and just make it a game. Is there a game of maybe fetch that you can play, that you can play with her for a little bit? And then when she take, uh, drops the ball... Uh, you can just, you know, get it by the collar very gently and then put the leash on and, and, and take her in. There's various things that you can do with that. But I think she's just, she just wants to hang out there and play. You can just put a long line on her. And a long line means it's like a 15-foot leash. You can go to my positivity.com store and you'll be able to see them. You get a long line and let her out on the long line. You hold the other end of the leash, let her, let her out, do her business, and then you gently just pull her back in and there's this wonderful thing with t-touch okay t-touch is called tellington touch and uh, it's just a way of touching dogs and it's a way of training and teaching and it's all about balance and it's a, it's a wonderful method but they have this great thing where you stroke the leash okay and you get one part of it you just do it very lightly and instead of pulling the dog back in you've got this 15 foot line the dog goes out and does its business and then you just call here, Fido, come, whatever the dog's name is. And then you kind of stroke the leash. And you'll find, rather than having to pull your dog in when you're stroking the leash like that, 
your dog actually comes to you. And if you walk the same way as you want the dog to come to and like doing that, then the dog sees your body language and will follow you in. It's a really beautiful way of leash handling and it's a really beautiful way of moving dogs from place to place without having to pull them. Perfect. Okay, this one is from Claudia, and Claudia's in Slovakia. I think this is our first question from Slovakia. Um, She says, I'm a volunteer at a local shelter, and I need advice. When I take a dog for a walk, he barks at every other dog. I've tried many things to resolve it, but unsuccessfully. I've I've tried to catch his eye with a treat, but he ignored it, even if it was ham. So I don't know what else to do. Please help me. And one thing to know, he was most of the time alone not in the presence of any other dog, so I think this is the main problem. So he's relatively unsocial, getting frustrated or uncomfortable when he's out on a walk and sees other dogs. And it's probably difficult because this dog's in a shelter, so he's probably overloaded with all these dogs or he hears them even if they have them isolated. So it's a tough situation, but, Mm. you know, we want to get the dog adopted, so... We do want to get the dog adopted. Um, Yeah, this, this... It's it's a problem, and the shelter environments are really difficult to train dogs in a shelter environment. Um, but what I'd like you to do is I would like you to take the dog for a walk and try and walk the dog in a place where there aren't any other dogs. Hard to do in a shelter place, mm-hmm. but I'm sure, hopefully there's a place where you can walk them and um, or walk him and ask other volunteers or staff members not to have other dogs out when you're walking him. Feel like he needs a little bit of space and a little bit of alone time that he can decompress and relax. Now, the whole feeding him food and he's not listening to you. Um, When a dog is reacting or in a state of stress, their digestion shuts down. And there's, you could put, you could put steak in front of their nose and they're not even going to eat it. It's too late. You have to, if you're going to use food, you're going to play games with your dog or you're going to use toys. You have to do it when the dog is not over threshold, so the dog is not lunging or the dog is not barking. And what I do actually is, again, when dogs are on the leash, you take choice away from them because the dog is connected to you. You're basically thinking for your dog. Your dog can't go where it wants to. It has to go where you want it. So sometimes what I like to do is I like to show dogs that they do have some power and that when you've told other staff members and that um, now my dog, this dog is going to take me into areas where it wants to sniff. You kind of go along with the dog. You don't have the dog pulling you, um, but if the dog wants to go sniff something, allow the dog to go sniff something. If the dog is interested in something else, allow the dog to take you there. And that gives the dog a little bit of feeling of control within its environment because remember, lunging like that, it's very uncomfortable and it's done from a place of insecurity. But a dog can become more secure if it feels like it has more has more control over its environment. So I would start off just doing that, just very gentle, and then sit on a bench with the dog. Get make get the dog to a point where it feels comfortable being outside. If you when you're housing the dog, I don't know where the dog is housed, but it would be great if the dog didn't have to look at another dog right opposite it. That's the problem. So is there any way you can block the vision or have a dog in a kennel run that doesn't face other dogs? It's definitely going to hear the barking, and that's when you can put like nice music in the shelter to relax these dogs. Um, and then, this is hard again to do, but then you might, do you have, is there a dog that's that you can work with that's very low-key? 
and you can just work at a distance with that dog. And so you have the dog in a distance, you have your dog, and you can play that dog's favorite game or do a or give the dog food. And so the dog looks. So and then just watch what the dog does. If the dog looks at the other dog and then turns its head away or turns its body away and walks off in another direction, praise it. Because the dog is then saying it's practicing avoidance. It's saying I don't want to go up to that other dog. I'm just I'm going to do other stuff. We need to mark that. We need to say yes, that's good, because that's much better than lunging. And that's and, and if you do it at a distance, which is not threatening for your dog, you'll see suddenly start to see signals of your dog rather practicing avoidance rather than lunging. Encourage that because that's encouraging your dog's coping sp- skills. Then you can get to a point maybe where you can get the dogs a little bit closer together. Don't go too fast. If the if your dog reacts, just take him away, get him out, because you've gone too quickly, and it might take you a while to get up to the to to the point where the dog's all right with the other dog being close by, and then walk in parallel. Um, so both dogs are kind of walking in parallel, but they're not right next to each other. And they're at a distance away where your dog's not reacting. But now your dog is getting experience of being around other dogs. And then you build it up from there. I would say, though, because all of this is quite um, skilled, because you've got to know timing and you've got to watch body language. And I would say that you should hire a trainer to come and help you. And hopefully there's a trainer in your area that is positive and humane and that can work with you on this on this behavior problem. And one last uh, question for you, um, and this is from Kimberly. And Kimberly says, I'm looking at getting litter mates, both boys, but was told not to because I could have issues. They're Newfoundland and Bernie's Mountain Dog mixes, so two big breeds of nice. dogs. Um, but litter mates, because I know, you know, there can be issues. My aunt had two Spaniels, English Springer Spaniels that were brothers, and they had to. she had to give one to her. Yes. Her, you know, her stepdaughter because they couldn't be together. Human siblings fight. Mm-hmm. They do. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how close you are. They fight. And dog siblings can fight too. In fact, some of the worst inter-bitch aggression I've seen, two females, mm-hmm. two sister females, not a good combination. I would be careful. I'm not saying it can't. There are siblings that actually live very well with each other. But I feel like if you can prevent a behavior from happening, prevent it from happening. And, you know, do they already have them? No, they, they were looking at it. They were looking I would at only have to. one. And, and then, just, you know. And if you want another dog for it, if you want two companions, you just get another breed, a different, you know, dog. Yeah, that a dog they don't. from a different family. And should you know, be male female? Is that a better mix? I, I look. Males can exist pretty well to each uh, with each other as well, and females. It's it's different in every household, but in general, the male female mix works pretty well. Yeah. And that's all because of the competition mm-hmm. and the whole thing. It just it just works pretty well. But not saying having two male. I have two females in the house, um, and that works brilliantly. And one is big and one is little. So it it it's just. But in general, if you want to prevent problems from happening. I would just, yeah, I wouldn't get siblings. Personally, I wouldn't. Now, there might be other people out there who say, no, Victoria, you're wrong. Absolutely fine. This is what I've experienced. Um, But we have to look at more than what Mm -hmm. they've experienced. We have to look at, 
you know, our experience of going around as trainers and seeing this problem in many different households. And that's why I would caution you against it. Wow, this was a, a really heavy but great podcast. I mean, from disaster to dogfighting, um, you know, it shows you that there's just so much out there to talk about in so many ways people still need help and can help. And I think, again, it shows, you know, obviously the, the hurricanes or any kind of disaster is absolutely devastating, but it also shows how people can come together and they can help, how much love there is in the world. And that's why putting these two stories together with dog fighting where it's such hell mm. and done by such bad people, um, but then, you're, you know, you're – Faith in humanity is restored because there are so many people that come to help in mm -hmm. any kind of situation where animals and people are in pain or suffering. And so that's why, you know, we talk about it. We've had experience about it. Um, and our hearts go out to any of the victims that are, that are recovering from the terrible disasters, the hurricane that's happened and even you know, the fires. Terrible disasters, uh, anything. I mean, it's been a really, it's been a really, Difficult year for a lot of people. And, um, you know, the Humane Society of the U.S. is doing so much. Uh, the website, hsus.org. Um, or you can go humane, humanesociety.org as well. Yeah. yeah so um, to, to find out more, I mean, you know, they're going to need help for a long time to come. Dogfighting is an issue that's ongoing always. You know, you never know when the next, unfortunately, disaster is going to happen. So it's something that uh, people can always check in with. And, you know, if you're ever thinking about even estate planning, doing everything, you can leave money. You can leave money in your will. You can leave, you know, uh, an endowment to the Humane Society because, you know, on there you can see they're always doing great work and there's always a need, unfortunately. So that leads us to knowing that next week there'll be more to talk about for our next podcast. I can't wait. As usual, we're going to be having more Ask Victorias. You're going to be challenging me because I didn't see these questions beforehand. I know. But I kind of like it because it is challenging. And as a trainer, you're always thinking outside the box and you're always coming up with different ideas. So there's going to be a lot that I, that I miss, of course, because I can't put everything that I might do for one situation into one um, Ask Victoria answer. But I'm excited for because we've got some great questions next week and we're also going to be doing, again, some very relevant topics we love the fact that you guys join us on this podcast and we look forward to speaking to you and seeing you next week thanks for tuning in to victoria stillwell's positively podcast for more information visit positively.com get connected on facebook and youtube as victoria stillwell or follow her on twitter at victoria s be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.